This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Find more great shows or join the team at sport-social.co.uk. Hello, welcome back to the Masterclass, the Manchester United Tactical Podcast. I'm Heydar Rabani. I'm your host as always. Today, I'm joined by Rob as always. Manchester United here have lost 4-2 to Leicester City. That felt very ominous for me yesterday, Rob. That was a really, really poor performance littered with uh, similar mistakes that we've seen. The Manchester United are imbalanced. The sort of performance with possession and without possession has been poor this season. Many, many times we've said that on the Masterclass. I mean, it's been shocking at times. You know, the team's organization uh, structure has not been good enough and when teams have come to uh, Old Trafford or if we play teams who are quite structured you know who understand their their, their system they've pulled us apart and uh, look it's really difficult because we're sitting here and we're having a discussion about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and we're obviously going to be talking about his job and his future as a manager of Manchester United and uh, we just want to say this is not shouting Ole out screaming abusing that's not what we're going to do we're going to talk about it methodically Rob we're going to talk about you know what's going wrong we're going to talk about, uh, you know, it, where, where he is in terms of his safety of his job. And then we're going to talk about alternatives as well. It's important to discuss this in a methodical way. So, Rob, welcome back. And uh, what's your thoughts after yesterday? Really, really disappointing performance. And it feels very much like Jose Mourinho's, uh, you know, sort of last few months at the club as well. It does. And that's a sad fact because whenever any manager runs out of grace or runs out of time or is in a scenario where things are not working, it doesn't look good, does it? No manager leaves a football club when their team is playing well. Uh, I think going into this Leicester match, it was really important for Manchester United after several weeks of pure dysfunction, of poor performances, that they got this one right. So even if you don't win the game, at least show that you fixed maybe some of the broken elements. You've just had the international break. Find a way, find a method. And what we saw against Leicester is that United look worse than ever. The system is broken. The, the tactical outlay from what Solskjaer is trying to do isn't working. And the alternatives with a, a relatively, I would say, good squad. You know, there's plenty of talent in this Manchester United team. They're not really showing in terms of being a year on from the project where we were last year, coming second to now being in a position with better players and having a better football team. What we are now seeing is that United are a worse football team. They're not as good as last year. They are less kind of energetic. There's less brain. There's less ideas. There's less of everything. And that means that you then have to look at the manager because one thing that never happens in football is that players do not get sacked ever coaches get sacked and 
Unfortunately, I think we are now at the proper crossroads of Ole. We've said it maybe before on our show, I think over the year, kind of looking at times when United have played badly and, you know, the reasons for it. But I think we're now at a point where it's saying, you know, is it the players? Is it the manager? Of course, when performances are bad, you have to look at the players. But I think all of the issues now stem back to tactics. This is what this show is about. We want to look at that. And we also want to see what the alternatives are for Manchester United. Because if you do decide that this manager is not the correct manager for you anymore, then you have to go and find one that is. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a good comment here from Rob saying our defensive structure is so poor, no matter who plays in the pivot. This is something I do want to talk about. You know, defensively, our structure is is so flawed, Rob. I think Gary Neville summed it up perfectly yesterday. You know, he sort of said that uh, Oli has a problem. He has a conundrum. He has Pogba and Bruno. There's that conundrum. He has the Cavani-Ronaldo, I think, conundrum. He's got the Sancho Greenwood-Rashford conundrum as well. And he said that all their strengths are in position and not out in possession, not out of possession. Now he's saying there's a work ethic problem. I don't think there's a work ethic problem with these team, with these players because if you go and put them into the Klopp's, uh, Klopp's team, Pep's team, Tuchel's team, I don't think it's a, I don't think that they couldn't do what they're doing. I think it's it's a coaching issue. I don't think they know what they're doing in the system. The, the roles aren't defined. And um, you know I do want to talk about uh, yesterday's performance. We see here obviously United set up as a four-two-three-one. I just want to point out Maguire. He was not fit, Rob. He was absolutely not fit. Why was he starting? And um, look, he was at fault for quite a few of the goals. And I don't really... Players have to take responsibility for their own actions. But why was he even on the pitch when he hadn't trained for a week and he hadn't played for three weeks? It's just decisions like that in crucial games against Jamie Vardy and Ian Nacho have got pace. It's just... It's mind-boggling. And you're not seeing a solution to some of these decisions and some of the tactical issues that we're seeing. I, I think that that was a huge faux pas from Ole yesterday and I said it on Twitter I was quite explicit about it that if you've got someone who is not fit and Ole said in his pre-match presser that Maguire wasn't fit and it was a risk he said it before and and I was biting my lip saying well, well why are you playing him and the mistakes that we saw from Maguire were classic mistakes of a player who's not fit so you know people did highlight to me as well on Twitter they're saying well Maguire's made these mistakes all season long and that is also true he's not played well next to Varane but you could see yesterday that he was a yard off. And for a big unit like Harry Maguire, he needs to be 100% fit to play. So that's on the manager for me. You know, he could have played easily by, he could have even played Scott McTominay in the back four. You know, McTominay does play centre-back for Scotland. So it can be done. These are all a kind of a mesh of decisions that are affecting Manchester United week to week to week. So with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, we know that there's in-game management issues. We know now that there are selection issues. But it's also now about how you get your philosophy, whatever that might be, into these players and seeing it work. You just said there about um, work rate. I don't think there's any issue with work rate in this team. It's just that they don't know what they're doing. They just don't know what they're doing. You look at the system here that we've got up here. It's a 4-2-3-1. Everyone at Manchester United should know what you do in 4-2-3-1. They've played it about 100 times under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But... When you look at the setup and you see Pogba and Matic together and you realise that there's a lack of mobility there and you look at the front the front four and you realise again that there's a lack of a press and a lack of a system, there's no second wave press off the back of that first wave press, you know straight away there's a problem. So Ole puts that team out and Ole has to live and die by it. And he said at the end of the game yesterday that maybe things have to change. Maybe we're at a point now where... You know, not a point of no return, but he said, you know, you see this and it should be like a shock to the system. But we've had shocks to the systems in the past. 
it's not a really good way of framing it because you don't play football shots to system. This is about organisation. You know, you've got to find a way to teach your players what you want them to do. Do not tell me that the players that we can see on the football pitch there on our graphic are not top players and don't know what to do on a football pitch. You've just got to drill them and find the right way. Um, I just think we saw two teams that are on two polar opposite paths. You've got Leicester City, who are highly organised, uh, work really hard. And as Brendan Rodgers said at the end of the game yesterday, his philosophy is aggression, play aggressively. And then you've got Manchester United, who have no real philosophy. The tactics have now fallen away. I think that last year we saw promising moments of United finding a system and being able to avoid defeats and, and garner victories. But you look at United now, there's just a passiveness about them. And that comes from confusion. And that then goes back to the manager. Yeah, Rob, one thing that actually frustrated me as saying all these press conferences, I mean, he was very truthful. He was very uh, almost downbeat. And that was uh, that was very... I haven't seen him like that before. It's almost like a man defeated. And I think that was a concern for me. You know, he turned around and said, essentially saying, you know, I, you know, we don't know how to solve this issue. That is staggering for me as Manchester United's manager. I mean, I'm just going to point out, you know, one point out of nine in our games against Villa, Everton, Leicester. So Villa are a decent side, Everton are a decent side, Leicester are a good side, have been in very poor form. Rob, we're playing Liverpool next week. We've got City coming up. We've got Spurs who are all right. We've got Chelsea. We haven't even played any of the big boys yet, the traditional top six. Out of all the top six sides, and this is not on talent alone, Rob, because there's so much talent in this squad that's not being harnessed. But when you're having a look at um, you know, the way that we are as a unit, we're the worst out of the top six sides. We're worse than a lot of sides in the league as a unit, and that comes down to the management. And at the end of the day, you know, I sit here and I wanted Oli, I wanted Oli to have to be back in the summer like he was. I wanted him to have the opportunity to see what he can do. Can he go to that next level? We're sitting here, Rob, and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, he's got the players he's won. He didn't get a midfielder, but he's got so much talent. You've got to prove it now. And unfortunately, as the quality of the squads improve, uh, you know, his management has, has essentially got worse. And that is a real concern for me. Yeah, I don't know if his management's got worse. I think maybe what we're seeing is the ceiling. So we're seeing what Ole Solskjaer can do with better players. So I don't think the tactics are worse than they were, say, last year. I just think we're not seeing that they're, it kind of hit the ceiling, that the improvement that we would expect to see. And I do also think that, that kind of when you, you assess of what the expectations are of Manchester United this year are, is that when you play these teams, and you just said they're one point from, from nine points out of those games... I wanted to see United blow away the teams in mid-table and the teams below mid-table. So when we say that a team is a is a decent team, so Leicester are a much better than decent team, you know, top four contenders for, for in recent seasons. But when you look at United against the Wolves, the Aston Villas, the Southamptons, the performances have not been anywhere near good enough. So you have to almost have to stop yourself and forget about what the performance will be like against Man City. You have to stop yourself and forget about what the performance will be against Liverpool because those two clubs are miles ahead of you. You've got to work out why you can't beat teams that are supposedly worse than you and you can't beat them convincingly. And I think this is where the, the, the buck stops with the manager because you're right. Yesterday, Ole, in, in his press conference, he did finally look like a guy that had run out of, of answers. So he's been quite bullshit in the last few weeks. You know, he's, he's kind of had his back up at times. He's gone after Jurgen Klopper. Now and then, he's been he's been kind of quite aggressive for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer sometimes in front of a microphone. We know that he's not not like that in the press, but 
It's what you see on a football pitch. And after a two-week international break, I wanted to see some high reorganisation of the team to find a way to get them going. I know that in tactical sense, you're not going to see anything other than 4-2-3-1 with a 4-3-3 transition in the game. That's what he does. It does it over and over again, week after week after week. But if that is your tactic, you've got to make it work. It doesn't work. So you've got to find a different tactic. So this is the issue, I think, with Ole now is that it feels like he's walking a tightrope, but there's no net below him. And this is the thing at Manchester United, all this stuff that the Glazers only want top four and all of this, the investment that's been made in the squad during the period of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's tenure, 410 million, tells you that even though that's not the Glazers' money, that is from the Glazers' bottom line, their profit. And if you fail with that 410 million worth pounds worth of players, it's over. And that is how football works. And it's not about top four. United wanted to compete for the title this year. They wanted to be closer to, to Liverpool and closer to City. Watching Liverpool at the moment, Liverpool are light years ahead. They're playing, scary, a, diff- Rob, they're scary. playing a different game of football to what Man United play. And that isn't right. That is not good enough. And that's why I said you, ca- you almost can't have to look at that, Hader, because that's not interesting. Like, we know we're not as good as Liverpool at the moment. But you look at the rest of the league and you're thinking, yeah, you should be better than Wolves. You should be better than Southampton. You should dance past these teams. You know, you beat Newcastle, but even that performance wasn't great. You scored goals, but it was all individual brilliant. So I, I think this is the same. It's the same problem just regurgitated over and over again, you know, vomited in front of us. And that is that we United are a moments team. And when the moments are bad, United don't win. Um, Leicester are more of a proper football club. They play to a system. They work for each other and they're aggressive. United are passive, they don't have a system, and it falls apart and you lose. That's what happens in football. There's no surprise about that. So now really the, the owners have a, a huge, a huge not a dilemma, because they, they, they don't mind sacking people. We know that they've sacked people in the past. They now just need to decide what their future direction is. Yeah, absolutely, Rob. Well, let's touch on this and then we will talk about Ronaldo, guys. There's a question here, you know, asking, you know, the Ronaldo conundrum. Has Bruno been affected? Guys, if you want to hear about it, we've talked about Ronaldo and the Bruno conundrum. Um, we spoke last week as well, three reasons why, um, you know, Ronaldo coming on against Everton did hinder Manchester United and did affect uh, their ability to win the game. So go and check that out. And guys, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. I can see 97 of you are watching live, which is fantastic. That's a really great number for us. Do share it with all your friends. Hit that like button so we can hit, you know, hit higher up on the suggested videos on, on YouTube. But Rob, look, let's uh, let's have a look at this um, on the screen here. So we've got Shamoon Hafiz, who we, I believe is uh, a journalist. And um, he's put up some of Pogba's comments after the game. And this was also very damning. When you see these comments come out and you see Ronaldo storming down the tunnel like we've seen week now for the last two or three weeks, which is not a good look either, that's concerning for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And Pogba says here, to be honest, we have been having these kind of games for a long time. We have not found the problem, conceded easy goals, stupid goals. We need to be more mature, play with more experience and arrogance in a good way. We need to find something we need to change. There's absolutely nothing wrong with what Paul Pogba said there, Rob. It's, it's, it's spot on. And when, when I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, you mentioned it, passive, out of possession, in possession, slow moving the ball. Uh, you know, we, there's lack of invention. Get into the final third, almost give it to Ronaldo, let Ronaldo do something. I want to tie Ronaldo into this. Now, we saw Sancho come in. We saw Varane come in. Some fantastic signings. Myself and you were both fans of Neves and Basuma. We wanted him in. Ronaldo came up. I was delighted. Obviously, I'm a massive Ronaldo fan. I was so happy to see him back at the club. But for me, what 
so I'm going to take a different stance to you. I mean, you're probably going to turn around and say, you know, United, uh, United signing Ronaldo has killed the project. Probably correct. But as a coach, you've sanctioned the signing to bring a player in. You need to find a way to get the most out of him. That's on the manager. So we can sit here and criticise Ronaldo. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. Everyone knows 35 or 36-year-old Ronaldo is not the 24-year-old that was running down the wing, you know, over a decade ago. So for me, I'm sitting here and if Oli didn't know what he wanted to do, Ronaldo, then he shouldn't have been signed. So I put that on the management, the coaching team, rather than Ronaldo himself. A top manager should be able to come in and look at the pieces and be like, right, Ronaldo doesn't press or he, you know, he's limited outside the box. So we're going to find a way to supply him. We're going to find a way to work him into the system. So for me, um, I don't think it was a mistake as such. But yeah, we should have got a midfielder before we did get someone like Ronaldo. Now, I'm not going to criticise Cristiano because we know what Cristiano is. We know what he does. We know what he's good at. And we know what he's not good at. But has he killed the project? Yes, he has. The signing has killed the project because United this year was supposed to play a system that allowed you not, that allowed you to play Rashford, uh, Jadon Sancho, and then uh, Greenwood through the middle with either that or Cavani. That was the way United was supposed to go this year. And that would have given you a much more fluid press. It meant you would have played better football. You'd have been relying on a, a future uh, version of Manchester United that could grow together over a two, three, four, five-year period. And that was the idea. Now, you just said there that the manager sanctioned the signing. Yes, he does. And you're right. You know, when you have players and good players, you have to try and make it work. I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is trying to make it work. The problem is, is that the, the pieces don't fit Haydar. So, you know, and I think this is the problem when you go back to the future sometimes. So with, with Ronaldo, there is nothing against him as a footballer. He's the greatest of all time. I've called him that on this show. But is he what you needed in that moment of time? It's a crossroads again. United had the opportunity to go and get Ronaldo. They went and got him. But the sacrifice was not signing a fullback and not signing a central midfielder. That was the sacrifice. Now, Ole has kind of alluded to that in recent weeks when they talked about the numbers. And he said, you know, when the Ronaldo deal was done, that was our business concluded. We realised in terms of money, that was it. That's fine. That's that's how it goes. But you're buying someone because of their stature and what they are and what they used to be as opposed to what they can be and where it's going to take you. The, the problem for Ole is that when the owners give you a player like Cristiano Ronaldo, you have no choice but to win. There is no room for failure. You have to find a way to let Ronaldo score goals and that the rest of your team makes that happen. You have to challenge for every title if you've got Ronaldo in your team. But the other issue is this, is that if you've got Ronaldo, you have to play him. You don't get a choice to sit him on a bench. You don't get a choice to rotate. You don't get a choice to actually put the right team out on a football pitch. And I think this is what we are seeing. So like you're saying there, you know, you still believe it was the right signing. I think that maybe historically we will look back on this in years to come and we will say that the day Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's stroke was cut was the day that Cristiano Ronaldo arrived at the football club. Not Ronaldo's fault. He's coming to win. He's coming to do Ronaldo things, you know. But you can't win on nostalgia, Haydar. It would have been like giving Sir Alex Ferguson the job again, like, you know, tomorrow if we sack Ole. It doesn't work. These things generally are are backwards. So I just think that this year, you know, you signed Jadon Sancho for 76, 78 million. Play him. Make the team about him. Make the team about Rashford. Make the team about Mason. Make the team about Bruno. What we're seeing is that this centre-forward that we have now, who is a worldie, a great, someone that, as you said, you love passionately, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You might find another manager comes in and makes it work, but 
I think you're going to have to change way too much of the personnel to get the most out of Ronaldo. As we saw yesterday, Bruno was doing the first wave press. Bruno's running around absolutely everywhere like a blue arse you-know-what. And and it doesn't work. <laughs> it hasn't Rob, worked. Well, Rob, here's, here's a question because you've discussed this. I agree with everything you're saying, by the way. And this, this is not a sentimental sort of standpoint. But, you know, you have Ronaldo and uh, you have to make it work. That's the reality of it. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're you know, Pep Guardiola, whether you're Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, whether you're Graham Potter. You know, you have to make it work. That's the reality. It's a results-based business. What I do want to say, though, is that you um you have all these pieces in your system right but the system wasn't strongly defined before so that's the issue for me you know you're bringing a player like that in and you haven't defined the system and then it's it's gone essentially it's gone it's gone really badly for us so that's my issue is that before you even did that the system wasn't in place I, I I don't know if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer could have pinned his, you know, flag to the mask any more with 4-2-3-1 as a system than he has. He's played it literally the whole time he's been at Manchester United, except for those first 20-odd games of the season. He talked about wanting to play a more progressive system. And I think that this is partly where we are in terms of the issues, is that he said at the start of the season, and obviously lots of journalists working with United said this, that they wanted to play more of a 4-3-3. That kind of made sense. But that changed the minute you signed Ronaldo, Haydar. Because as soon as you you changed, you brought Ronaldo in, you can't really play 4-3-3 because you need three players at press at the top. Ronaldo isn't going to do that. So th this is the whole thing about, I don't criticise Ronaldo for being the player that he is. Uh, and, I, and I also think that, that Ole is stuck between a rock and a hard place of maybe wanting to play a more progressive system, but not really being able to because the pieces now do not fit. If Ole has got anything about him, yeah, between his legs, we always talk about having kahunas and things like that, he would drop Ronaldo for the next game. But of course, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You would play that front three now of Rashford, uh, Sancho and Greenwood, and you would go with it and you would stick with it. But he can't. He literally cannot. And that is the problem. So we, you'll see lots of shows now in the next week or two. And they'll all say that. They'll all say, has Solskjaer got the you-know-whats to take this team forward? But no manager in the world can be given Ronaldo and then not play him. But the right thing to do probably at the moment is not play him. Yeah. And that's a hard yeah, thing yeah. to do. That's a hard thing to do with a, a generational strike. Because you know what? You could play badly and Ronaldo will score. And as I said, United could come eighth this season, I said this weeks ago, and Ronaldo will still get you 35 goals. And then every Viva Ronaldo fan will be saying, well, he got you the goals, didn't he? It's the manager's fault. Well, it is the manager's fault if he plays him. But no manager, I think, in this scenario could go against his own board and say, well, you gave me Cristiano Ronaldo, you're paying him £50 million a year, I'm going to put him on the bench because that means you get the sack. So... I think this is the issue that, that Ollie's back. He did kind of allude after the Leicester game that he was going to make changes and maybe would players would have to bite the bullet. A little suggestion there that a major player might get dropped. I think it's more likely you'll see Pogba get dropped. I think it's more likely that you'll see Bruno maybe play a, less, a few less minutes. The one player who's not going to get dropped, Haydar, is Cristiano Ronaldo. And that, unfortunately, is a massive, massive issue. So I'm going to ask you the question, Rob, before we move on. I know, obviously, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of anger towards Oli in the comments, and rightly so. I mean, I'm sitting here now, Rob, and I don't think that he's the man to take us forward on this project. Or I've said this, I've said this for a long time, but you know, I was prepared to give him the season. But the way what we're seeing at the moment with the performances and not improving, and that's the point, Rob. A lot of people turn around and say, "Oh, well, you know, Fergie played badly and won." 
I, I, I honestly, I detest that point because it's just so, there's just su such lack of reasoning in there. You know, Manchester United play poorly week in, week out, and we're, we're still not getting results. Now, when I'm looking at it right now, Rob, on the, on the balance, you know, if Manchester United go and lose to Atalanta, and then, God forbid, we go and lose against Liverpool, and they've got Mo Salah, who right now, for me, is the best player in the world on current form. He is, he is spectacularly good. But, uh, you know, is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer going to last the season, in your opinion? And what have you heard? Let's let's give the listeners, obviously, some insight. You are a journalist. You have sources at the club. What have you heard in terms of uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's position at Manchester United? Is he safe? And uh, who are the options that Manchester United are looking at? And we will discuss some of them in uh, in a short while. He's certainly not safe. You know, you can't you, you can't have bad performances for weeks and weeks and weeks, come into a new season with huge expectations, and then just expect that you keep your job. It doesn't work like that. What have I heard? Well, there's no doubt that that in terms of the, the rumour mill that goes around in journalist circles, that United have been looking at alternatives for quite a while. You know, this goes back into, into last summer that they're always exploring coaching options. They're always looking at upgrading. They're always looking at what they could do. Now, it's very true that Ole holds a lot of favour with the Glazers. And the reason for that is that he has put the ship back, you know, in on course of where people thought it should be. The football might not have been stellar, but he's fixed a lot of the backroom issues. He's been very strong behind the scenes. He's offered direction to the board. And United have gone towards a director of football structure. I think he's been a huge part of that to be to give that input to say that that's what United need to do as a modern football club. But hey, Dar, you start losing games. You start playing awful football. Your tactics collapse. You are gone. It doesn't matter who you are. How long has Ole got? I say five games because that five-game spell is so difficult, you know, so tricky that if you navigate those five, you kind of show to the board that you can do the job. You say, well, do you know what? We've not played well, but the next five are hard. But if we win all five, I keep my job to the end of the season. That's how it goes. Do I think United are title contenders today? Absolutely not. Do I think, do I think United are contenders for the Champions League? Absolutely not. Why? Because they're not good enough. So when you've gone and spent the kind of money that you did in the summer and you're worse, you're on the chopping block. It's the same thing with Mourinho. When Mourinho left, everyone said, oh, it's because he didn't get Harry Maguire. That's what they said. And he even said in his press conferences, I didn't get the defender I wanted. Well, that happens in football. Quite hap it happens lots where you're trying to get a player or you're trying to change something and you don't get what you need. Now, Mourinho got lots of players and spent lots of money, and that was the issue at the end of it. And now we're seeing the mirror effect with Olegan Solskjaer. He got three really great players in the summer, and United are worse. So forget about def defensive pivots. Forget about McTominay and Fred. Forget about centre-backs. Forget about, you know, whether Aaron wan is switched on in a game or switched off. It's about how you make it all work. That's how you win games. But it's also, Haydar, how you lose games. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, guys, so, so many great comments, uh, you know, so many great uh, insights. So thank you very much. And uh, we're going to start talking about Conte. We're going to talk about Zidane. We're going to talk about Rogers, and we're going to speak about Potter. Um, and we're actually going to go into their systems and what, you know, what they do well, how the systems work, what they do with and without possession. And then we will also uh, discuss how they sort of fit in with Manchester United's current squad. Uh, but Rob, what I will say, last point on Oli, and I will say this, uh, he done, he's done a magnificent job, and a lot of people are going to laugh at this in the comments probably, but he's done a magnificent job in changing and stopping the rot of this club. When Jose Mourinho left, 
as you we've had this discussion we had this discussion before even did the masterclass we did a few podcasts didn't we and you came on and you said that the club was a very toxic place you know, people were very unhappy there was talk that mason greenwood wanted to go as well because he didn't feel like there was a pathway into the first team ollie came in and stopped that yes we haven't played the most attacking football but Manchester united were a team outside the the, the top four for for you know four or five years and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has got back-to-back finishes. For me, I've always said this and I've seen other people on Twitter now using my phrase, Rob. So people say using yours, don't get high, get too high, don't get too low. For me, mine is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer took Manchester United from A to B and that was such a crucial part and that lays the foundations from for a future manager. That stopped the rot uh, to improve the squad, get quality in there. And it is a quality squad, Rob. And that's why I'm sitting here and I'm frustrated because there's quality littered across uh, the key areas of the pitch, apart from the midfield. But uh, I always had doubts whether to get us from B to C, and I was prepared to give him the season. But I'm sitting here, Rob, now, and, and he, I don't think he can do that. He can't get United to, to winning titles. He can't compete with Pep, with Klopp, with Tuchel. Maybe in one-off games he can beat them, and I'm not saying he can't. He can. He can put up a tactical plan to do that. But he can't go across 38 games and win the league title in Manchester United. And unfortunately for me, Rob, I think that, uh, you know, I don't think he'll last the season. But I also don't want him to get abused. I don't want to see that because that's not right either. But Manchester United need to win games, don't they, Rob? That's, that's the reality of it. And if they don't start winning games, he, he will be out the door. All football clubs need to win games. Games pay, you know, winning games pays the bills. That's how it works. Results, it, 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 results are all important, but you need to see the structure behind the results. So when you play well, you, you tend to get where you want to go. You know, you might be unlucky sometimes, but if you play good football, at least you're showing the fans, you're showing the board that you have control of that element. I think what we're seeing now with United and with Ole is that he's lost control of that element. So the performances are poor. Ole's big strength as a coach is that he's a man manager. Well, I don't think that the players are not playing for him, but his man management is not working because the system and the players within the system are not functioning. So like you just said there, you know, we don't want to see, you know, Ole get abused and all this. I agree with all of that. Of course I do. You know, that's not what, what we do. Um, there's going to be an element out there of United fans and beyond who do do that. That's 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 part of the, the modern football culture, and that's a shame. But I think at the same time, we're not here to apologise for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. You know, I always say about this show that we do, this is a tactical show. It's about tactics and it's about realism. And it's not about dream football. It's, we do a fantasy league show, that which is directly for fantasy league football. This is not a fantasy football issue. This is about a real-world issue. And Manchester United went to Leicester yesterday, Played well for about five minutes, tried to kind of put a system in place, tried to be more progressive, and it all unraveled like a complete hot mess. That has to be on the manager to a certain level. Yes, the players are also part of the issue there. Of course, you can't just blame the manager. But when the tactics fundamentally collapse, then it's always, always, always on the coach. And that's the thing, Rob. You know, I see a lot of people talk about uh, the the United way. He gets the United DNA. United DNA is, for me, playing attacking football, being successful, winning as well. And right now, Oli's doing the things off the pitch really well, but on the pitch, we're not seeing that. So anyway, guys, we're going to move on. We're going to talk about uh, some possible choices for Manchester United. And we're starting with Antonio Conte. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of gasps and a lot of anger in the comments of Antonio Conte. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Antonio, Antonio Conte, Rob. I loved what he did when he came to Chelsea. He, uh, you know, he almost uh, revolutionised the Premier League in terms of coming in and playing three at the back. Not many teams did used to do that before when he came in. And uh, look, you saw him at this in- at Inter and he won the title there. Let's look at this Inter side. Obviously, he's playing a four, uh, three, three at the back. 
3-5-2 or 3-4-3. When you came in, Rob, uh, to Inter, Spalletti was there. Spalletti played 4-2-3-1. So immediately he moved to, to the back three, which is more of his staple. And uh, having a look at this team here, look, you can see that midfield trio of Barella, Vidal and Brozovic. Now, the difference between what we saw at uh, Inter and Chelsea is that Chelsea, he, he actually played with a double pivot. So he played Matic and Fabregas. Whereas at Inter, he played more with Brozovic as the, as the holding player. And then he played Vidal and Barella sort of more as uh, dynamic box-to-box players. And then you saw the, the partnership at the top with Lukaku and with La Torre Martinez, who were fantastic. I mean, I think they were... Definitely one of the, or if not the best strike partnership in Europe under Antonio Conte. Uh, you know, they were both able to run in behind. They could collect the ball uh, deep. They could play with back to goal. And uh, what you would see is that with Conte is that there's a very large emphasis on those wide players. Hakimi was fantastic. You saw Ashley Young there as well. And uh, we had uh, Perisic on that side as well. And looking at this sort of uh, structure that he had, do you think it would work at Manchester United? I mean, what I'm... Maybe a little bit concerned about with Conte is that when I look at um, his teams without the ball, they're not a high pressing side. They're more of a containing side. And, uh, you know, they do retreat into more of like a mid block. I'd say, you know, they do drop back into like a 5-3-2. So it is a bit more <laughs> defensive. But what, from what we've been seeing with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Manchester United, I actually want to see a bit of solidity at the back. So, you know, what are your thoughts on Antonio Conte? And what is the talk? Because is he emerging now as the number one target for Manchester United? I think he's the favourite to land the job as it stands. Um, he's a coach that came to the Premier League and won it. He showed, you know, within the two years that he was in England, that he won two trophies, the two major trophies domestically. He showed that he could take a Chelsea team who had good players but were very dysfunctional at that point, find a system relatively early on in his tenure there and go on and be very successful. So, you know, when we look at kind of... The system here that you played Inter three five two. I don't think he'd play that at Manchester United. I don't think that's how how it would be. But he's played three four three at Chelsea. That was a highly successful system, and it was not a regressive system. So you know, we talk about Conte maybe being a more defensive coach. Uh, I don't really see that. I think that that people kind of think that the only attacking system in the world is four three three, and if you play four three three, that's the beautiful game. And uh, Pep plays it, and Klopp plays it. There's plenty of coaches who win trophies around Europe and around the world, who play different systems. So 3-4-3 would allow United to, to maybe do more United things, like attack, you know, like move the ball through midfield, like being more of a unit, of having more solidity at the back. You're just saying there about sitting back in that 3-5-2, and the idea there is obviously that the wing-backs come back and allow you to kind of have more of a low block at times. Inter didn't really play with a low block last year. They didn't play with a low block. They went and attacked teams. You know, Ashley Young was up the pitch as much as he'd ever been. You know, so I think when you look at alternatives to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, there are tangible people out there who do not have a job or currently do have a job and would like to manage at Manchester United who could come into the football club and have an immediate uh, impact. Conte is a stone cold winner. Uh, we have to dispel the myth that yeah, Conte. Rob, let's do that now. Can I read out a few comments before we do that? Because there's a lot of chat. Yes. And I had a good chat with uh, David Amayel, who does the the Couchland podcast um, the other day, and uh, he was talking about Conte, and he was saying Conte hasn't actually left clubs. Because I said, you know, Conte leaves clubs in messes. You know, when he leaves, so I said left Chelsea in the mess, left Inter in the mess, left you in the mess. And he actually educated me on that. But I'm going to read out a few comments here. Because Charlie's saying, okay, Conte, not for me. He's too moody. 
Zidane probably worth a shout for two years, I'd say, but looks risky. Rogers probably deserves an interview. We're going to talk about Rogers in a second. Uh, and there's a comment here from Gary saying, you know, what happens if Conte comes? What happens to Rashford and Sancho and Ahmad? Well, when you actually looked at Conte at Chelsea, he played a front three of Hazard, Costa and Pedro and did that to great effect. So I don't think that would be too much of an issue. And then here's a comment here, Rob, saying, let's be real. The United board won't go for Conte as he's too volatile. and He'll say things as it is. It might expose him. Let's discuss that myth about Antonio Conte being combustible. I love his passion, Rob. I think it's it, it would completely, you know, the Old Trafford faithful would absolutely love it. You'll see a little bit of uh, fire and grit on that touchline, which I want to see, to be honest. Uh, I was never really a fan of Van Hal sitting there with his iPad, you know, wherever he's doing doing his Amazon orders or whatever. So what what is uh, what are you going to say about the, this myth about Antonio Conte? The, the complete myth is that he leaves football clubs in a mess and that he just kind of walks away and 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 is combustible it's it's just it's it's not it's not just incorrect it's a lie it's a basic lie it's not what it's not what he is not what he does you know he's a very calm character behind the scenes he's a he's a student of the game he's a coach he puts winning teams together He's a methodical man. He knows how to get what he wants out of a team. So that's why he's so good. So even Mourinho at his best, going back over years, Mourinho wasn't a defensive coach, you know, in the in the early years at Chelsea or even at Real Madrid. He wasn't. He became that much later on. And if Conte came to Manchester United tomorrow, he would not be a defensive coach. He would not kind of, you know, again, we said this thing about the Glazers and this myth also has to be dispelled. Boards go for people that make them win. That's what they do. Boards look at winners. Boards don't look at, well, what if we fall out with him? What if something, what if there's a problem in a year or two or three? They want trophy, trophy, trophy in that time. And they're willing to take it. They'll take it on the chin to have a manager that they don't really agree with. They don't want nodding dogs as managers. I hear this all the time about the Glazers. They just want a nodding dog and that's fine. No. They need a manager that's going to help them win because that makes them the money that they want. That's how it works. So I think with Conte is that in terms of his CV, what he's done in the past, um, it's a very unique thing to have a coach like that who has that English experience as well. You know, like he's done it in other countries, obviously done it in Italy. He's been obviously coach of some very, very big football clubs. He knows how these big operations work. Now, that is important because that's what he'd need to show to the Glazers, that Manchester United doesn't phase him. Of course, Manchester United would not phase Antonio Conte. And I don't also think that the football's the style of football that we would see would be boring or negative. I think it would be exciting. I think it would make United competitive. And I think Conte might not be the dream choice for Manchester United fans. Like I think we did a poll earlier on. Uh, I did that on my Twitter account. and we Yeah, Rob. Know, 23 percent wanted Conte. So, so only 23% wanted Conte out of that. And the, the the obviously we're going to discuss some of the other candidates as well now. Um, but only 23% want Conte because I think there is a lack of education between United fans about what Antonio Conte is. Their their image of him is leaving Chelsea, leaving into Milan, and being a kind of spiky individual. And the, the truth is, is that those two football clubs were a mess, and that's why he left. It wasn't his fault. And I think that he's not a spiky character at all. I think he's highly passionate, highly intelligent. I think he would bring something different to Manchester United and he knows how to manage stars. Yeah, I mean, something Ashley Young said, actually, which was very interesting. Young did come from Oligon Solskjaer to Antonio Conte and Young said they demand so much. The key is his winning mentality. He demands so much on and off the pitch. He demands those high standards from everyone around him. Manchester United have got a lot of stars now in that squad. They want a manager that's going to demand. I'm not saying Oli doesn't, 
I don't know what goes on behind closed doors. But Antonio Conte has gone to several different leagues, won the titles there. He is elite. Um, there's a lot of questions, Rob, you know, sort of regarding, you know, um, well, there's a comment here actually from Vincent. It's something that we had a chat with. And I, you know, I'm a big Pochettino fan as well. Now, um, I, I'm looking over at Pochettino and PSG and I'm, I'm looking with great interest because I think that there's definitely a possibility that he won't have a job by the end of the season. Is there a possibility that the club, because he was a long-term option, that the club do wait and uh, see what happens there before they make a move for, let's say, someone like Conte, who is free and available to take the job? No team ever waits. If results are bad, no team ever waits. It's not how it works. So, you know, if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer went in the next five games because it completely collapses in and around him, I don't see Manchester United waiting for anyone. There is a chance that they put an interim in place like they did with Ole. Um, you know, Michael Carrick has a lot of favour behind the scenes. So I think that no. would drive... Man uh, no, but that might happen. You know, like you, you, we're talking here about reality, Haydar. Hey, You'd rather keep Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Rob, than, than bring in Carrick, who's got zero experience of managing but, football. Yeah, I, I agree, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm discussing reality. So, like, if you're going to put an interim in place, they would probably do it with someone from within the club. So, you might not like it. United fans might not like it, but this is a reality. It might happen. And that's if they want Pochettino. But no club waits for a manager to get sacked so you can hire them. It doesn't work like that. There is a chance that Pochettino will not stay at uh, PSG that long, but there's enough good managers on the market or, or who are gettable within their own football clubs that makes me think that kind of Pochettino is way down on the list. Of course, if the same happened to Pochettino in the next 10 games that... Uh, Say so it all collapses at PSG and suddenly, you know, he signed a new contract, but it means nothing and he gets sacked. Then it might be a case that the kind of the planets align and that Pochettino comes to Old Trafford. I just don't think that that's the most likely outcome as it stands. Sounds brilliant. I mean, Rob, let's move on to the next manager. And that is the man himself, Zinedine Zidane, one of my favourite ever players. Absolute brilliant player. And, and a good manager as well, well, Rob. You know, it's very unlikely that you have a player that's so good, yet who's also a, uh, a very good manager as well. But let's let's talk about Zidane, because Zidane came out at the top in your polls. You only had uh, four options on your poll. You had Conte, who came out 23%. Zidane was 41%, so the half of the voters, and there's quite a few voters, 1,300, and then Rogers was 20%, and then Stick with Ollie was 15. A lot of talk about Ten Hag, guys. I'm a big fan of Ten Hag. Um, we'll, do a, we'll, we'll do a separate show on Ten Hag because he, I think he's a fantastic manager. We don't have time to discuss him today. Just, just drop in the comments who you'd like us to do separate videos on, and we'll most certainly try and get to that done for you. And thanks for all the comments as well. Hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. We're hitting 205 live viewers right now, which is fantastic for us. Um, so, Rob, talking about Zidane. Now, he plays 4-3-3, as you can see here. Obviously, his trophy cabinet speaks for himself. Champions League's coming out of his ears. But um, <clears throat> I kind of want to... I'll start with you. Let's talk about what he did when he won those trophies. And then I also want to talk about what he did you know, in that last season at Real Madrid, because uh, the team wasn't as strong and he did have to implement quite a few, you know, innovative sort of maybe unorthodox tactics to uh, cope with that. Um, so, yeah, let's discuss what worked so well for him, because for me, what stood out for me was the midfield, obviously, of Tony Kroos and uh, Modric. And then you had the fullbacks, Marcelo and Carvajal, who uh, in three seasons that they won the Champions League in a row, they had, I think, 20 assists between them, which is pretty staggering. Yeah, I must admit, when we talk about Zidane, I don't particularly want to talk about his individual players at Real Madrid. It's a different project. It's a different set of circumstances. You can certainly lean on the Varane factor and the Ronaldo factor, obviously being two parts of that football club who are now part of our football club. So we can kind of look at them. But I'm more interested about shape. 
So you can see here that, that he primarily plays 4-3-3. That's the system he likes to play. Um, he does tweak it, like you mentioned there. You know, it's kind of uh, maybe individual man jobs within the team that people might do. But again, I think that that's not massively interesting about whether he gets the job or not and what he does with Man United. So Varane would obviously play there in the in the back four. That's that's a kind of given. But I think he's looking at the Ronaldo factor. What would he do with Cristiano Ronaldo? So if he was playing a 4-3-3 at Manchester United in the Premier League, and I said this again before about what the, the Premier League press looks like compared to, say, the La Liga press or kind of the league um, press or the Serie A press, it is different. How would you use Ronaldo? And when you look at this system, it kind of hints towards what you might see. So Zidane is a coach who's won three Champions Leagues. I think he's won two La Ligas as well. He has won plenty of trophies. That's not really the issue. It's about could he make Manchester United squad work with what it's got? I think the answer to that is yes. And is he a big enough character to maybe do something with Ronaldo that maybe Ole isn't? Again, the answer is yes. You could see Ronaldo playing to the side of a central striker in a 4-3-3, but then Ronaldo was going to have to do a little bit more work than what we see. So <laughs> if Ronaldo's at the club a year or two, okay, you'd like a manager to last longer than that. But now how do you get Man United winning again? And I think 4-3-3 is an option, but it might not always be Cristiano-centric. And that is another issue. Like when you look at that front three there, this is a Champions League winning front three. Gareth Bale, Benzema, who's still banging in the goals at Real Madrid today, and Cristiano okay. Ronaldo. It, it, it's a great front three. But do you know what? Manchester United's probably best front three in a 4-3-3 probably would be Rashford, Sancho, and then someone else as the striker, probably Mason Greenwood. So... Is that is that something that, that, that Zidane would come in and say, yeah, I'm going to forsake stars. I'm not going to play players. What am I going to do? How do you play Bruno Fernandes then? What do you do with Cristiano Ronaldo? Does Cavani even get a game ever again? There's lots of questions to ask when you change the system that dramatically. And I think that's the more interesting point when you talk about Zidane. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, managing the egos is a big thing, Rob. Managing big stars. He, he did that with a plum at uh, Real Madrid. And I think you look at this Man United squad, it's got, it's got that. You also got to think about looking forward. Paul Pogba's desperate to play for, for Zinedine Zidane. He's made no no bones about it. Ronaldo would obviously probably want to play with him, play for him again. Uh, Varane has played for him. So, uh, you know, Martial's there as well. I think he's out the door. But, you know, there are these players that, that would probably love to play for Zinedine Zidane. So a lot of chat about Enrique. I'm a big fan of Luis Enrique, but I remember hearing uh, that his salary is 17 million a year. Um, so I believe he's one of the highest paid coaches. Um, I really like Enrique. I loved uh, I loved what he did at Barcelona. He, he was, he, Spain's played some great football and they haven't got a lot of talent, but we'll do a separate video on Enrique. Um, but Rob, let, let's sort of talk about um, Zidane's team out of possession because United are non-existent out of possession, right? They're not a pressing side, but Real out of possession last season in uh, Zidane's last season, they were 4-5-1 out of possession. So they pressed with Benzema at the top. Ronaldo can't probably do that job, can he? If Ronaldo's going to play number nine. So you would probably see someone like Mason. Um, you also did see that he went to the 4-4-2 without the ball as well, pressing as well with two men up top, um, you know, creating very little space between, between the lines. And I think that that sort of structure without the ball is what I want to see from the next Manchester United manager or from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer if he's still in the job. That's one of the things actually that frustrates me the most is when you see all the other top sides that are doing that, 
Man United without the ball are so disjointed and they don't do that, the basics, right? So are you more of the view that you want to see a Conte who are a bit more, maybe a bit more passive? Or do you want to see a Zidane sort of side where they will go and, you know, we'll go and press and we'll go and try and win the ball higher up the pitch? I don't think Conte's system is passive at all. <laughs> just, just, I think well, really... I disagree with that totally. Like you, you kind of look at the systems, yeah, and what they do. So just because a team presses doesn't mean that they are more aggressive. So it's 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 a balance. It's a balancing. Like you just said, they United out of possession are really poor. I think United are really poor in possession. Really poor in possession. The first issue is how do you pass the ball? Man United can't pass the football. Out of possession comes because they can't keep the ball. Because then they're out of possession because they've lost it. So for me, I want a coach. If you had a coach to come in, whether it be Conte or Zidane or anyone, first of all, Man United need to be able to keep the ball. Man United need to pass the ball. Forget about being out of possession, first of all, because you only don't have possession when you lose the ball. So I look at Zidane and I look at Conte. I think both of their systems allow you to keep the ball better. So this is where Ole's 4-2-3-1 does not allow you to keep long periods of possession. Now, United had possession against Everton for an hour and were pretty good. You know, I thought that they, they that was the best they've been all season long. Good, good but, performance. But then possession needs to transition into goals. And in that day, United couldn't do those two bits and put them together. So I think it's a little bit of a fallacy. Like I know you mentioned it at the top of the show about what Gary Neville said about how bad Man United are out of possession. Well, being out of possession is one thing, but it's what you do with the ball. That counts more than anything. And the problem for United at the moment is that when the ball is at the feet, they are just bad. So the next coach, whoever that might be, whenever that happens, needs to come in and coach these players to keep the ball, to be aggressive with the ball, you know, to actually get through the lines and be able to pass through. You saw Leicester yesterday be able to pass right through Man United with just two or three quick passes, absolutely carve the team in half. And that comes from a mindset, comes from up here. You play football up here. It's not about running around to be in in position because I'm telling you, McFred, do that work. They actually, out of possession, go and do all the dog's work, the stuff I talk about every week. So that's not the problem for Man United. The problem is, is how do I get the ball from where Varane is is on a football pitch? Both is a problem, though, with and without possession. Yeah, but it's it's a systematic problem. So it's in order, Haydar. So you've got to look at it in, in order. The first problem is what do I do with the ball? Not what do I do when I haven't got the ball? So this is the thing is that with United... The, the issue always stems from poor, slow passing in transition. So the goal yesterday, the Harry Maguire one, yeah, the first one, comes from United once again, playing the ball around along the back line, slowly, cumbersomely, and it happens all the time. That comes from coaching. Then you see the ball go through the midfield. You've got Paul Pogba. Paul Pogba wants 12 touches in the double pivot. You can't do that. That's Paul Pogba's fault. But that's Ole's fault. Ole knows that that's what that player does in that position. So all of these things stem from a starting point. The rest of it is then shape. The rest of it then is out of possession, what you do then. But you can't get that bit right, Haydar, if you're getting the other bit wrong. You've got to fix the first bit, which is how dangerous you are with the ball at your feet. Leicester showed it yesterday. Jamie Vardy is not a player who has the ball at his feet a lot. Jamie Vardy runs lines and works players. That's his job as a striker. Now, if you have a system that does that, everyone else can back it up. We've got Cristiano Ronaldo. That is never going to happen with Cristiano Ronaldo. So as you as you mentioned there, Mason would probably do that job for us with another coach. But then what do you do with Cristiano Ronaldo? He's not going to sit on the bench ever. You're going to have to play him. So that's a systematic issue. So I, I, I look at it from the starting points and the end points. 
And I think United are getting the kind of the whole of the starting point wrong. You know, it's not necessarily the out possession that's the issue. It's the in possession. And it starts from that moment. That's what I said, Rob. We'll move on to Rogers next. But it's what I said uh, yesterday after the game that United aren't even doing the basics properly, and that's that's hmm. a very worrying thing. And I and that's that's something that with that much money spent in the club at Manchester United, that should not be happening. But Rob, let's move on to the next man. And it's the man we played against yesterday, and it is uh, Brendan Rogers. Now, I I find myself jumping from like one extreme to another with Brendan Rogers because I think that. Uh, I think he's done a fantastic job at Leicester. They play great football. Um, I just fe- feel like the last two seasons where they have dropped out on and missed out on Champions League when they've been so far ahead and had it so secure at the last minute. For me, that's a bit of alarm bells ringing because it for me, it's almost a bit like, you know, um, does he have enough to go to that next level? Obviously, he won the FA Cup. Uh, he had a successful time in, in Scotland. But I mean, it's not the most difficult league up there. Um, but it's still impressive. He won the treble. I think two trebles in here in a row. But... What I really like, and I said this to you off air about, uh, I watched more clips last night, you know, preparing for this podcast, watched more of uh, Leicester under Brendan Rodgers. What I did like about, um, about his side is they're both comfortable in possession, but they're also comfortable playing on the break. And the game that stands out to me is, you remember the game, I believe, was it last season when they beat City 5-2 and they had 28% possession and they rinsed them um, on the counter. And I thought it was really brilliant to watch. What we saw yesterday, though, is that, fantastic passing they're very direct you know they look to uh, pass quickly and early they look to uh, exploit the spaces in behind uh, there's intensity they're, they're a fantastic side rob really fantastic side and um the more i sort of watch rogers's leicester play the more i'm thinking long-term fit i think he could do some really good things with the squad it's important to notice isn't it rob as well though that he does usually like to employ a 4-2-3-1 and uh, that's what May Knight playing at the moment. Obviously, yesterday uh, he didn't do that. But uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on Rogers? I know you are a big fan of him. Uh, I think he could be a, a really good fit. Obviously, there's the old Liverpool tag that might put a few people off, but who really cares about that, to be honest? Yeah, I'm not interested in the Liverpool thing. I think the actual Liverpool thing is a positive. It showed that he's been at a big football club. I think that kind of valuable experience goes a long way if you're coming to Manchester United. Again, not trying to get too hung up on systems. I say this all the time. He does play 4 2 3 1. He's been playing it this year. Um, but you look at kind of you know uh, you look at Leicester's options in midfield and how how he plays. They were talking about Indeedy and Tillismans. Um, it, it doesn't stop them playing good football because that's what it's about. It's about how you coach pl- teams to play good football, and that's why systems don't always matter. You know, it doesn't really matter if it's four three three or four two three one. What matters is that you're doing your system really well and you're playing good football. So I think Leicester do play good football. His system here that we kind of got up here, this is the 4-1-4-1 from last year. As I said, this year he's playing more of a 4-2-3-1. But you kind of look at how Jamie Vardy leads the line and the kind of play that he does, that it's very unselfish. So Jamie Vardy gets good numbers as a striker, scores lots of goals, um, is always part of the the best parts of Leicester's attack. um, But he does the work. And it's become fundamental in the modern game that if you play a system like this, like a 4-1-4-1 or a 4-2-3-1, where you have a point of the attack, you know, someone up there who's, who leads the line, is that the press starts there. Now, you said, obviously, 20 minutes ago in the show that that's why, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo wasn't a mistake. Well, if you want to lead, have someone that leads the press, buying Cristiano Ronaldo is a big mistake. It's, it's pointless. Don't don't buy Cristiano Ronaldo. Buy someone else that does things. Can I, that, that can I ask you. you a question quickly, Rob? Because we've yeah. had this discussion before. 
in your opinion, because in my opinion, I think Ronaldo can press. I don't think it's a physical thing. Look, look at look at him. Is it a case of he just doesn't want to press, or can he physically not do it anymore? Um, because that's the thing I'm thinking. I'm like, surely look look at the physical state of him. He can press. Ask him to press. Of course he can press. Of course he's fit enough to press. He's just not going to do it, Haydar. Hey, look, look, you love you love him, don't you? He's your he's your all time idol. You've watched it's him. Right. Look, I, I, yeah, but at he's the got, end of the day, he's got like, seven hundred and fifty can... goals. He's got seven hundred and fifty goals playing the way he plays. He's not going to change at thirty six. This is the whole point. He will not be saying to Ole and the soldier, "Do you know what, Ole? I'll press for you now." Doesn't work like that. That's not what players do. He's one of the few players that in the whole of world football gets to dictate terms. Him and Messi can do what they want at whatever club they're at. You're not going to say to Lionel Messi, oh, Lionel, you're at a football club now. Can you press for me? It doesn't work like that. You're going to have to do a, have, a, have a system that lets him do his best work. So the 4-2-3-1 actually allows Ronaldo to not have to always do the press. You can have Bruno doing the first wave press and it works like that but then you're skewed we saw yesterday in the 4-2-3-1 there were times when the four were across the pitch in order and none of them were pressing none of them that's the issue the issue is no one knows who's supposed to do the press so that comes from coaching so I think this is the issue with Ronaldo is that that if you didn't have the foresight to see that six weeks ago, like I'm talking about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer here, if he didn't have that foresight to say that that was a problem or the board didn't see that because they don't have the technical know-how or something like that, then that is all on them. You know, this is the whole thing. That's why I'm not criticising Ronaldo. It's not Ronaldo's fault. But I'm telling you, Ronaldo's not going to start pressing. Rob, when, is Rob, Ronaldo, when, when is Ronaldo ever pressed? He's never really done it. Good comment here, Rob, saying... You don't need a central striker to be the first pressing man. You can rotate it. No, one, three, switch right. all the time. It's something that you mentioned. Um, I haven't got the graphic here, but you did mention the idea of actually Bruno being playing as that false nine. I mean, would that work with Rogers? Would he? Could he play? Obviously, Vardy's Vardy's an out and out striker. But you know, let's say Rogers did come in, would he be looking at maybe Bruno as, as an option as a false nine to be that be that you know the first first line press? Well, look, that's important to kind of make that uh, the differential there about coaching is that um, there's absolutely no chance that he'd be a false nine under Roger's system. You know, that 4-1-4-1 does not lend itself to having a false nine in it. You know, if they played 4-3-3 for Zidane, like we just talked about 4-3-3 there, you could have Bruno as a false nine because that is a system that allows that. If you had any coach that played um, with a, a, a more higher attack, you know, with three across there, you could play with a full sign. Look at Liverpool. I think Liverpool are the best example. They play four, three, three, three functional midfielders that do all the work and then three attackers that get all the goals. That's how it works. It's a very kind of simple system, but it allows freedom for the front three, especially for Minio to drop back in as a midfielder, to then get on the end of passes in the box and score goals. You saw Firmino score a hat-trick against... Uh, Watford playing a classical false nine system. Brendan Rodgers doesn't play that system. So that's not going to happen. It would then be, if you play in 4-1-4-1, you would have to decide who your striker is. Probably it'd be Cavani today. You know, he'd probably be the most of it suitable in that system. But long term, it would definitely be Mason. So again, the problem there is Ronaldo. Where would you fit Ronaldo in a 4-1-4-1? You'd probably be forced to play him as a striker. It means that you wouldn't be able to press in the way you wanted to. And it probably means that you would have less shape in midfield because of that decision. Um, what I'm kind of hinting at here, Haydar, is uh, what do you do after Cristiano Ronaldo? This is kind of what we're looking at now long term. You'd have to find a way to win now in the next 12 months. 
but you might be looking a year or two in the future. And how do you find a system that allows you to win year after year after year after year? Because these systems with Ronaldo will not allow you to do that. Yeah, a comment here saying that's why uh, I'm up for Conte to be the guy. At least you'll have a good system. I agree. Um, Rob, you know, something as well about Rogers' side um, is, and you were talking about pressing, so I'm going to bring that in as well, is that, um, you know, they really do use a touchline as almost, you know, they, they like to shift the opposition out wide, don't they? And they use a touchline as almost, you know, like, like an extra man. Um, and if, if United have Ronaldo up top, then, then they're not going to be able to press. Um, and then we're going to be moving on, Rob, to this man here. And obviously there's going to be, oh, gasps in the comments because... Why would United be looking at Graham Potter? He hasn't won anything. You know, they might as well keep Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is probably what's going to be said. But, Rob, I really like Potter. I actually don't think that he's... I don't. I think he needs another job before taking a job like Manchester United, in my opinion. You know, maybe somewhere like Spurs or, you know, a club like that, Everton. Um, but uh, I really like, from what I've seen of Potter, I think he's... Uh, He's obviously very high, highly rated. Um, he's he's a young manager. He's, uh, he's he's likes to embrace innovative sort of methods. Um, you know, he he's able to be tactically fluid. His players are very very intelligent in terms of you know, they're able to play multiple systems. I mean, you can see here, you know, he's playing sort of like a three five two. He's played four two three one. He's played four four one one. Uh, and uh, obviously the XG gods have been kind to them this season because they are actually winning games. They're a fantastic watch. Um, what is your thoughts on this? Because when I'm looking at here, the key for me here is Basuma in, the, in their team. You know, he uh, he you know he can play as a sort of a deep playmaker. He's also he can you know, drop in and play more of a defensive role in the pivot. He collects the ball from the defense. He's a fantastic player, and they're just with the quality they've got in their squad. And I'm going to say maybe lack of quality compared to other sides who are sort of similar similar stature. They're definitely punching above their weight, and I, I think he's a fantastic manager and definitely one to keep an eye on. But I think it's a, maybe a little bit too early to be to be bringing someone like that in. Should should you know, Oli should Oli get sacked? Well, he won't get the job. That's the first thing we have to say. He won't get the job because Manchester United are a glamour club and they'll want a glamour name. There's no doubt about it. What we want to ask again is: Does the system work for United with, with Potter, and would Potter be a good coach? Well, I think yes. I think he's a really good coach, and what he's done at Brighton has been exceptional. You look at his system, 343 there, you can see the shape. Obviously, we've got it up here on our graphic. That would suit United more today as a 343 with the players that we have than maybe even the 4231. Because the 4231 that Ole is employing does not work at the moment. You can see it doesn't work. It's fundamentally flawed in so many parts of the pitch, whether it be the press or with the ball retention or being just dangerous. When you look at Brighton's 3-4-3, when you look at, again, with Ronaldo, Ronaldo could very much be the point of attack there with, with two, you know, not inverted wingers, but you would have two players that, that played the channel more and that had freedom of movement around him. So that could very easily be Sancho, Rashford. You could have Bruno that high up in the pitch. I, I do think that with all of these systems that we've reviewed today, there is a big question about... If you have to play Ronaldo, and that's the feeling that you do, that what's it doing to Bruno Fernandes? Because Bruno Fernandes is having to play in different parts of the park this year, and that is a problem because he's just not very good at it. He's not very good as an eight. He's not very good coming deep for the ball. He's not very good wide. He is better playing in and around the box. But of course, when you've got Ronaldo there, you want some spacing. You want you want Bruno to play off, you know, to be able to, to feed Ronaldo. 
and you look at this system here, three four three. You would be able to have, say, like I don't know, say Basuma and Fernandez as your central midfield if you had Basuma at your football club. This is all a bit of a dream scenario. But you would also be able to play McTominay in there again. Someone that most United fans don't want to talk about and don't want to put in there. But you'd be able to play him in there, or you would then be able to play maybe Pogba in the center as a more creative and have a system that allows that seven players there, you know, as a back line to be able to sit in a much more disciplined block, getting the front free away from them. So you could do that, but Graham Potter's not coming to Man United. He's not coming to Man United because of the reasons that you just gave there, but because United are such a big PR football club that they brought Potter in it would be a kind of experiment waiting to blow up. You know, the press would just sit there waiting for it to go wrong. And if you lost one game, it would be a hundred times worse than whenever Ole Gunnar Solskjaer loses a game. And, and I don't think Potter has that grace in the Premier League so far. He's highly respected. I don't think that he would do a bad job at United. I think if he's given the tools, he could do a very good job and and be a very long-term manager. Both him and Rogers, I think, have that about them. They 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 can build squads and keep squads together. And I think they'd be happy to remain at Manchester United for the longest period. But unfortunately, this won't happen. But if it did, I would back it. You know, if he got the job, I would say as a football journalist, as a football fan, I'd be interested to see what he could do in a couple of years. I'd say give him two years. Let's see what he could do. Let's see if he can fix these fundamental tactical flaws. And he has the acumen to do that. It's just not going to happen. I mean, Rob, I want to bring up this comment and we'll, we'll finish on this one here. And it says, Roy Keane said years ago, this group of players will throw the players on the bus. Remember? Now, this is, these sort of comments, um, look, everyone's entitled to their opinion. They frustrate me, Rob, because... We are four years down the line, and we'll, we'll end on sort of the final word on Oli. We're four years down the line, or three years down the line, and let's say someone like Potter had come in, and for, you said two, given two years, people would be like, well, no, look at the squad. But if I saw in those two, two years identity, exactly how we want to play, I saw a solid and defined system, and I could see that, you know what? Every single week, these players know that they're well-driven and well-coached, because that's the foundation to winning titles. You don't just turn up and uh, your best players, uh, you know, go and score goals and the individual brilliance and you win titles. That's not how it works. You've got to have a system in place. If I saw that from Oli right now, three years down the line, I was like, you know what? I can see exactly what we're trying to do. United are playing well each week. They're just not quite hitting the, hitting the, you know, where they should be to win the title or whatever. Then I'd be happy. I'd be saying, look, give them time. But I'm not seeing that, Rob. And those comments like that are ridiculous because these players have played for Oli. Yesterday's the first time, Rob, where I've sat down and thought, you know what? There wasn't any fight. After that, you know, third goal went in, we can see there was no fight. We can see the fourth. This is the first time that I've seen the players show a little bit of like, mm, are we are we really believing on what we're seeing? Everyone always blames the players, but right now I'm not seeing a team that's been coached well enough. And when you spent that much money, that's not good enough, and your days are numbered. Yes, and. And belief comes, Haydar, from knowing what you're supposed to do. And I think that's what we're seeing with this United team is that they just don't know what they're doing. They just don't know what they're supposed to do. They know the system. They play 4-2-3-1, like I said earlier in the show. They play it every week. They coach the system. They know what they're supposed to do in the system. But it's all the nuances of the game. You know, being able to pass a ball 10 yards is really important. You know, being creative, if you're a creative player, is really important. You know, if you're Paul Pogba and you're playing him in a double pivot, you're probably going to find issues. It, it will happen. You know, we've said this again repeatedly. So 
I, like you said, Dave, I don't think there was any fight. I just think that you just run out of mental energy, Hader. I think that's what it is. I mean, you get to a point where it's just like, oh, you know, Marcus Rashford comes on, scores a fantastic goal, a great finish. You're back in the game. It's 2-2. And when you watch that play unfold where they score, Aaron Wambasaka is on another planet. He's not in the game. His head's gone. He's not. He's, he's kind of there. They've gone back. He's gone back to right back and he's asleep. And this is what we see from United all the time, this lack of concentration and lack of knowing what they're doing in the moment. So this is the problem. So it happens all the way across the pitch of Manchester United. It's not kind of down to just Aaron Wamsaka. I, I didn't mean to kind of raise him as an issue, but he has been an issue, of course. But it's it's we saw it last season. We're seeing it now more. But the problem is that when you've got better talent, it really radiates. You really see these issues so much more. There'll be plenty of the Ollie outs on Twitter saying, we told you so, we told you so. Fair enough. Pat on your back. If you feel better about yourself, you did say it. But the issue is, is that you need to give managers time. You need to give them space. You need to give them money and new players. Ole has had those things now. The grace period is over. The honeymoon is over. We're now in a, in a place where you have to go and win. I think Ronaldo, as I said, is the project wrecker for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's project. It doesn't mean the next manager can't get something out of Cristiano Ronaldo. And like I always say, players do not get sacked. Cristiano Ronaldo is going nowhere for two years. He will definitely be at the football club and he will definitely play football matches. It's just that now, whether in the short term, we're going to have to see what, what Ole really does in terms of what he puts out on a football pitch about can he like lace the bits together, put, you know, it's like, the, it's like shoelaces, isn't it? That unless you actually kind of knock them together and tie them, tie them shut, you've got nothing. It's just, it's just a mess. It's just a kind of a, this vapid kind of, style and I think that's kind of where he is is he brave enough to make the right choices as it stands I think the answer unfortunately is no and that's a sad thing you know I always talk about never being sentimental in football I say it all the time I think you give people fair chances but you give them enough time to show that they can either do the job or that they can't do the job and I think we've kind of reached that point where Ole's not doing his job now. We've got to that point where the players are not translating whatever the tactics are. Whatever's going on at Carrington is not working on a football pitch. And then time is ticking. As I said, I think he's got five games. In that run is Champions League matches. And in that run, of course, is City and Liverpool. And if City and Liverpool play to their best, if Atalanta play to their best, this manager really will not... Rob. This manager will not be the manager of the football club at the end of this run of games. And that might not be his fault in this point. You know, like you just hit a kind of hard run of games and when things are going wrong, you, you want you want a little bit of easiness, Haydar. You want a kind of, you want a bit of space to breathe. Well, there's no room to breathe now. And if Manchester United do not get good results in this next five, I think the project is over. I think Ole will suffocate and I think that will be the end of it. And I think we will see a new manager installed way, way before Christmas. My final question before we wrap up, Rob, and guys, thanks so much for all your great comments. It's been fantastic. Great show today. Um, who's getting the job then? Should should Oli get sacked? I mean, I think I think it'll probably be Conte and I'm I'm warming to that idea. But obviously I want Oli to turn it around. Big big uh, huge fixtures coming up. I just Rob, I just don't have any faith that uh Atalanta are a really good side. And uh, Liverpool are as well. So I'm really worried about next week. Again. 
against Liverpool. Yeah, I'm worried, and in 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 a football sense of what we're seeing, I'm more worried in the sense that I don't think that this manager will change anything drastically now, tactically or in the selection to make it better. You know, we've been wrong in the past. Ole has shown that, that he can find it, dig his way out of holes. Um, but this is a massive hole. This is the biggest one he's been in. I think if he is sacked in the next five or six weeks, then the job goes to Conte. I think that is a simple choice. He's the best manager on the market. I think there's also the opportunity that Zidane could come in, but I don't see him being any kind of long-term choice. Like people might say, well, Conte is not a long-term choice. I think Conte, if you give him the right tools for the job, he could be a long-term choice at Manchester United. He could get it right and remain at Manchester United. I don't think after two or three years, he's always wanting to, to move house. Do you know what I mean? I don't think that's who he is. I think, again, that's a made-up media myth. Uh, but those two play those two men are probably the the running favourites in the short term. Yes, as you mentioned, Pochettino at the end of the year could come into it. I think that Brendan Rogers is the moderate choice. So if you want someone to take the project on now and understand the culture of the football club, because I think he did that at Liverpool. He understood what Liverpool fans wanted and what was the kind of ethos about Anfield and about that team. And he he constructed a system that did really well. And he, he was very lucky not to win the league. He was very unlucky, I mean, not to win the league at that point. So he did have that kind of success. He did rebuild that team. I think he could take what United have today and put together a title-winning team. I think he could. I think he's got the tactics. Yeah, I agree. He, would have the back, he has the back room. He would be able to do that. And I think that he foisters a kind of confidence within his squad that maybe we're not now seeing with Ole. We saw before, like I saw in the comments there, someone put, we have seen Manchester United press well in the past. And we have. But I think the question is, why do we not see it every week? Why do we not see that every week? Why do we not see it? And I think that has to just come down to coaching. Because if it's not your number one priority to press, then you won't press. Cristiano Ronaldo is not going to press because it might be the right thing to do. He's going to do what he does on a football pitch. And now Ole, to save his job, has to really pull a rabbit out of the hat. He's got to show something that we have not seen before. And he's got to show that he's at a level that I think most Man United fans don't believe he is. In my poll that I put out that we said there about managers, 15% wanted Ole to say stay, which meant 85% wanted a different coach. And I think that's probably fair of where we now stand with Ole and the fan base is that the fan base has been patient in you know, overall. I think we've been patient. I think on this show, we've been patient. We've given Ole a lot of grace, given him a lot of time and we've given him a lot of games of football. And I think we've now got to a point where we're a quarter through the season already. We're a quarter through the Premier League season and we are falling away. The football's getting worse. The results are getting worse. And we saw now that results are now catching up with the performances. Absolutely, Robert. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm just frustrated to see what we're seeing every single week. I, you know, I just want to see a well-drilled, well-coached side. I want to see entertaining football, and we're not seeing that at the moment. There's so much talent at, at Ollie's disposal. But look, guys, thank you so much for all the comments. There was so many of you in the live chat, some great comments, some great insights. Uh, make sure to hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. Myself and Rob will be back every single week after each Manchester United game, and we will also we, we also do the FPL show, Fantasy Football, so do join that. It's a little bit more lighthearted and, uh, you know, Rob does give away some of his secrets as he likes to tell everyone he was in the top 1% in uh, in FPL last season, I think for the last 10 years or whatever, how long it's been going on. But guys, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you all next time. 
This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network.